Hi everyone, David here. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Foresight Climate and Energy. If you like what you hear and want access to more of our fascinating in-depth content on the energy transition, you need to subscribe. You can try us for 30 days for just €29, Euros, which will get you full access to our website and app. We also have a wide range of subscription packages to fit you or your company's needs. Follow the link in the show notes or go to www.foresightdk.com forward slash subscribe to find out more. Hello and welcome to Energy Enablers, a new podcast from Foresight Climate and Energy. My name is David Weston. I'm the editor-in-chief here at Foresight and host of Energy Enablers. In this podcast series, we want to talk to the influential people making a real-world difference to the energy transition. Hopefully not just your usual suspects, but people working every day to decarbonize our world. We also want to delve into their backstory a little bit, discuss what motivates them and how they think the energy transition is going. My guest today is Dirk Swider, Vice President of Group Strategy, Foresight and Analytics at German power company E.ON. In this week's conversation, we discuss the impacts of the energy crises that have affected much of Europe over the past 18 months and the long-term implications for the energy transition. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Dirk, thank you so much for uh, appearing on Energy Enablers uh, with, uh, with Foresight Climate Energy. Uh, to begin with, I'd be really interested to learn a bit about your personal journey. What is your background and did you always want to be in the energy sector? Yeah, thank you, David, for the invitation. It's a great pleasure to be here. Um, well, actually, um, I think the answer is yes. Um, um, I, I started um, my professional career with uh, studying energy technology. So it's close to energy as you can get. Uh, well, obviously, markets and uh, the energy business changed um, over the last couple of years, so um, there was quite a change. But I started to um, study this in Berlin, um, had a good um, lecture uh, at that time from a CEO from one of the um, bigger energy companies in, in Germany, um, where I then yeah, really liked um, to um, dig deeper into energy economics. Uh, did my PhD, then started... Uh, at E.ON, where I'm working now um, uh, in 2007, so I'm with the company already quite some time, um, and uh, yeah, and worked in analytical roles, uh, controlling roles, uh, strategy since then. Um, so yeah, I think it's fair to say that um, my career is <clears throat> yeah more or less about energy. Yeah. And why is that? What what really attracted you to that? And specifically energy or clean energy? What's really your yeah? Where did where did that interest come from? Well, actually, um, I, I at at school I, I wanted to do something with uh, environment. Um, so I think clean energy would be um, the closest to it. Uh, although then during my studies um, in, in energy technology, I um, yeah I. I I think I, I was one of the few ones who really liked to do thermodynamics, so to really understand how a power plant works, how a gas station um, or gas turbine works, <clears throat> and um, and this um, uh, and this was the focus in the beginning. And then I always, next to the technology part, I always like to to understand more about the economics of things, and and then it came also into cleaner energy technologies and so on. But I think this this very broad area of energy and how you can design markets, uh, what, 
yeah, I, um, I, I think those topics um, um, attracted me quite a lot um, at that time. And I mean, when I studied, um, or at least when I then started my PhD, that was the time of the liberalization of the energy market. So there was a lot going on. Um, um, as as today uh, in the market, there's a lot going on. And, uh, and I felt that that is an area um, which uh, offers, uh, yeah, quite some possibilities and, and, and was attractive in that way. Uh, so in your role at uh, uh, E.ON, you're, you're part of the, the Foresight Division or head up the Foresight Division. So that's sort of looking a little bit into the future and about what the trends are coming and what sort of things the company needs to be looking out for. How did you how did you get into this sort of role? When did you start at E.ON? How did you start at E.ON? And what what is it about looking into the future and, and discussing about new technologies and new regulations and things like that that really interested you? Well, actually, um, I... Um, my, my current role is is in group strategy, so I'm vice president um, group strategy, and then focus on topics like uh, energy economics, policy, and foresight, as as you mentioned. Um, so it's a bit broader. It's not just foresight. So foresight sometimes is seen as I don't know feeding the funnel um, for innovation. Um, we do foresight more in a way of um, testing our strategy. Um, seeing if there's an early warning, if there's something out there that, um, that happens that we um, may need to consider and revising our strategy. So, um, so my role is pretty, pretty close um, to strategy. And actually, it started with, um, with a more analytical focus because uh, a couple of years ago, um, we restructured uh, or E.ON was restructured as it happens in every big company uh, every other year. And here as well, and the question was on how do we want to do um, market analysis? So actually analyzing markets and the developments out there. And we picked a quite a simple approach with uh, a small internal team uh, very close um, to, um, to group strategy. And this is what I built up. And then in the next restructuring, where, uh, which followed uh, our acquisition of uh, energy and the following uh, integration of the two companies or um, the actual merger, then um, the the foresight topic came on top um, because we thought it is important to um, yeah not only feed the funnel with uh, what we see out there, but actually influence a strategy. And uh, and I really like that uh, combination of both because it gives us a very broad view, but it also um, uh, requires us to channel it to what is really important for the business. So it's not just about fantasizing about the future and what can happen over there, which is great on the one side. But if you don't see this um, in, in, in action or translate it, in my case, to strategy, then uh, then at least for me, something would be missing. So how has this, how is your experience today and how does your, your role currently, um, how has it been affected by the current uh energy crisis that we've seen across Europe and much of the world really in the last 12 to 18 months, obviously um, accelerated by the conflict in Ukraine or in Ukraine, um, but a number of other factors going on as well, rocketing inflation doesn't help. Have you seen a, a scenario like this uh, in the past? Um, and, and how do you see the current situation? How are we going to get out of it? So actually, all our work has been a lot more focused than on, on those crisis activities. So I've already been part of a crisis team uh, around Corona and collect that. Um, so the, the commercial um, aspects um, and how it would impact or how it impacted our, our business. 
Um, so effectively, um, um, we've been in, in a sort of a crisis mode for quite some time. Uh, and then this, uh, the, the Russian invasion in Ukraine um, added to it, although we already had a commercial um, crisis team also after Corona, but before um, Russia invaded Ukraine because gas prices at that time, um, so already uh, December two years ago, were already, um, or a bit more than one year ago, um, were already uh, significantly higher uh, compared to the situation before, uh, five to six times higher. So we've been already in a crisis um, there. Um, and... Um, and, and then it accelerated. And you are now in a situation where you do have um, discussions about uh, do markets function? What do we need to do um, to make energy affordable for our customers? Um, uh, and how do we achieve the energy transition targets um, then uh, in addition as a bit more longer term thing? So um, if you take all this together, um, I, I have not seen um, such a kind of situation in my career. I mentioned it before that uh, effectively I started um, my career just shortly after um, the liberalization of the um, energy markets in, in Europe. And I think we are now in a, in a phase of change that it, uh, it is at least comparable. I mean, overall, um, this situation we are in on the energy market is somehow comparable to the energy crisis in the 70s. Um, especially with regard to affordability. <clears throat> but what happens now um, with regard to energy market design um, is something we haven't seen before, uh, I think, since the liberalization. And, and now it looks, and at least in some parts, that um, we restructure in a way, um, and, and at least in parts, away from what we've already uh, done back then, liberalizing markets. And now it's a lot more about yeah, how to manage that situation in an adequate way. And, and the big question is what role markets can actually play in that, which uh, I think is something we haven't seen, at least I haven't seen in, in my career. So, so uh, what can markets do? How do we overcome the current uh, energy crisis, the high prices that are really affecting lots of households and end users, particularly lots of companies are really struggling to pay their bills as well. Um, in the short term, initially, uh, and what can we see, what can markets do, what can regulators do, what can uh, lawmakers do to really help um, support everyone through this current uh, crisis in the short term? Yeah, I think the first thing that we need to keep in mind, and that is um, the basis of it all, is to, to really continue to reduce um, our gas demand, um, be as efficient as possible in one way, but really look at it, how can you reduce it? Because um, yes, we, we lost um, the, the Russian gas delivered, uh, deliveries for good. Uh, we um, do and will depend on LNG deliveries. So we will be in another market environment. Prices came down since the peaks in the crisis significantly. Um, but they are still um, three times to five times up than when you look into the longer term, at least this is what some analysts out there um, do expect uh, continuously high prices compared to the pre-crisis level. And, um, and, and, and that still is enough um, to, um, um, yeah, to, to put on um, or to, to think about relief uh, for customers or other measures. So the first thing is um, reduce gas demand 
wherever we can. I think in this winter, it looks okay. Um, people do reduce demand um, as they can and, and, and just thinking to keep certain rooms not heated um, or industry then also uh, reducing and replacing fuels. But also, uh, which is obviously the not good thing in reducing gas demand, sometimes shutting down production as well. And there these relief measures come in place. They're not only for customers, but also um, very important, of course, for industry to make sure that we in Europe um, stay competitive um, to, to other world regions. And, uh, and yeah, here um, is the same thing. In the short term, um, you what means do you have? I mean, you can save energy, you can reduce your production, you can um, do a fuel switch uh, here and there where um, um, your um, processes do allow, but effectively there's a certain limit on, on how you can replace. I mean, you do not replace your gas boiler to a heat pump um, at, at a very uh, short period of time or insulate your house or whatever. So. Um, so this will, will take time. So you need to give incentives to people to then do these um, changes in the longer term. And one of the biggest uh, drivers um, for this change, obviously, is a high price. Um, so in one way, you would say, well, high prices um, lead to that change. Um, yes. But on the other uh, side, these prices that we've seen in the market and continue to see are so high um, that many, many people are not um, able um, to pay um, prices on these levels. So in Germany, um, we applied then, well, a sort of a break to the energy prices and saying they are effectively capped. And you can imagine that this was a very big discussion also in our company. So how do we position us towards price cap? Because price caps usually is is, is not what a market is about, right? So you have the inner tendency to just object it. Um, but I think the commission, uh, where we've also been part of in, in, in Germany, find a good way on um, reducing the cost with a given cap for 80% uh, of demand um, and leaving the other part um, then out to the market. So that a certain incentive from prices and, and potentially higher prices is given, but everyone is protected uh, on a certain level. And I think that's that that's a good compromise. We, at least for the time now, we have to see how it works out uh, effectively then when it's fully in place. Um, but I think this kind of combination and, and revisiting that um, over time um, is, is crucial. Um, and, and this is, I think, another um, new perspective, um, right? So really looking in, in detail on affordability on that scale um, certainly is new. I mean, we had the customers uh, in our focus the whole time and also, of course, affordability of energy, but certainly not on these levels um, as we, we see them now. So this, this is more the short term uh, kind of answer because in the short term, I think there's no other way than just protecting it and, and making yeah make, making sure that um, um, yeah customers are, are able to survive in that uh, environment right now hi everyone me again please do rate and review this podcast wherever you listen it really helps us out means we can make more shows like this and means more people can find us also, a quick reminder to subscribe to Foresight Climate and Energy so you don't miss out on any of our other podcasts or long-form journalism. 
head to the link in the show notes or go to www.foresightdk.com forward slash subscribe. So you think there needs to be some sort of level of um, government involvement in market pricing and markets? Well, I think um, the the way of um, capping it, uh, giving incentives, maybe direct payments, as we've also seen it here in Germany, where the government um, effectively paid for the end consumers, the gas bill for December, um, this, this is a way of protection. And I think this is um, the role... Uh, governments can play and have to play in this situation because the, the price peaks were so extreme um, that otherwise um, it would really lead to uh, massive consequences for for just everyone. And <clears throat> so, so yes, but this should not be there forever. So we need to make sure um, that prices come down to an adequate level uh, again. Um, so um, uh, and um, and, and that we change the energy system a bit more in the longer run because um, governments cannot jump in forever. This is really um, just um, a thing you apply in a crisis and should only apply in a crisis. So um, I can understand that this also causes discussions about market design. And I think uh, also in long term, you, you need to discuss market design. But it's not just due to the crisis um, that we we do and have to uh, discuss market design. Because in general, I would say um, markets do work. They give incentives um, via the prices. This is always um, um, an indication of um, if um, how balanced demand supply is, so how tight are markets. So that that's what a price indicates, and and that does work. So it's, it's not that this part is, uh, is not working at all. We sometimes maybe lack incentives um, to invest into energy security. So the more longer term elements, do we already have everything in place to make sure that enough renewables uh, will enter the system um, and so on? So um, I think there we need to think about, but um, this does not need to um, um, fundamentally change um, the basic layer of the uh, um, of the market, I think. Hmm. Were we were, uh, were we perhaps then spoiled by the low energy prices that preceded a few years before the crisis? Is that are we was that uh, an anomaly uh, at the time? And will we when we look back say that, that those were particularly low prices, or do you think we can? Uh, and that's partly why the crisis feels harder than it um, or harsher than than perhaps it could have been. And do you think we will see energy prices sink to those levels again? And should they? Well, when, when we look back, and um, certainly the prices we have seen during the corona crisis were a lot lower, right? So um, demand was low, um, production was low, uh, industry production was low. So um, you, um, you cannot compare the price levels to that phase. But if you take the 10-year average um, to um, today, more or less, you see gas prices um, being about... 20 euros um, per megawatt hour. Um, that's roughly an average uh, uh, over 10 years. Um, now they're, uh, um, they're, they are three times higher. Uh, in the peak, um, they have been um, um, more than 10 times um, higher. Um, so the, um, the 
I don't think we have, well, yes, we have certainly seen a phase of lower prices, um, um, but they were reasonable at the time. I mean, what defines gas prices in Europe? Um, what defined it in the past is, uh, is a bit of a um, competition on price level uh, between Russian gas supplies uh, and the potential of LNG flowing to Europe. Um, so effectively, you could explain um, these price levels at about this 20-ish range um, with just out-competing new LNG facilities being built um, in the US with a target to deliver gas to Europe by the Russians and their gas supplies. So they, they out-competed them. Um, and now we um, the, the competition, so Russia's out, so competition will be um, on the demand side um, between Europe and, and Asia, and deliveries will come from Middle East and, and US uh, with regard to LNG. And um, it is very likely that the US deliveries define the price. And as overall prices are a bit higher, you will also see but higher prices going forward. Um, will they continue forever and stay uh, three times higher than this long-term average? Um, well, when you look at what... Um, um, many long-term analysts say they see it more in the um, uh, 40 to 50 percent higher than three times higher. So this is still a lot, but it's still a lot less also uh, compared to the level that we have um, also today. Um, and um, so, um, so we shouldn't um, um, assume that um, although prices will stay elevated, they will come down. And, and I don't want to talk this, um, this is still a problem, right? So I don't want to talk it small because if prices stay high and you are um, a production facility um, that depends on gas and, and your products depend on it, um, three times um, of elevated prices on this or a slightly lower level than it is today um, uh, will, will break your neck. You, you may uh, shift um, your production facilities or just, close your facilities in Europe. Um, so uh, we will have uh, massive implications um, on that. So that's why we need to do everything um, in the longer term um, to, to then um, have this um, yeah, fast ramp up um, of um, everything that helps to implement the energy transition, to, to make it cheaper. And, and, and effectively, my view is, um, that now these topics that um, in the energy uh, business we always look at, um, energy system needs to be sustainable, secure, and affordable. Um, this is now all in line and, and, and leads to, um, from my perspective, three things. Fast ramp up of uh, renewables, um, timely expansion of energy infrastructure, and making sure um, that demand gets flexible to manage the system. And all the, these three elements, they will lead to the energy transition on one way, um, if it is well designed um, to an affordable energy system and it is inherently sustainable. And, and um, at least that's the ambition. It's still hard to do. And we will not achieve um, this without changes um, to, to the market. But it's a bit of a different other change um, compared to what some um, in the market um, discuss right now. Hmm. Yeah, let's move on to those. What are the long long term implications are then of the crisis? 
do you envisage, you mentioned the market's working, do you envisage a whole new market redesign or does it just need a few tweaks here and there? And how can they incentivize the investments that are needed uh, both in faster permitting, incentivizing more renewables, incentivizing um, more grid infrastructure investments? Can the market adapt to make those uh, incentives? That's a very difficult question. <laughs> do I envisage... Um revolutionary or evolutionary changes to the market. So um, let's start with what is discussed. And that is very broad. Um, so you have um, uh, suggestions on really um, revolutionized um, market designs. They range um, from pretty much um, the same as today with some tweaks um, to um, a fully regulated system where you effectively um, pretty much all technologies um, somehow put into a scheme that, uh, at least from the outside, um, looks like um, a regulated um, and planned uh, approach um, to, to, to run the energy. Um, and while in some parts um, you could argue that this can be of help, and in other parts uh, it may not, because regulation, um, as we all know, always leads to more regulation, makes it, makes it hard because it's so hard to foresee um, also how market participants act um, then in, in this um, new environment. So what do I envisage? Um, I, I think what we need to have is um, certainly more uh, investment security um, to, to really um, ramp up renewables, but also to provide the uh, generation sources in the future, a couple of years, you would have uh, set um, gas turbines. Now it will be more hydrogen fueled. But you need to have some source um, of balancing the system in the long term to providing the capacity as well that you need uh, in order to run um, this more and more variable energy, domi uh, renewable energy dominated uh, electricity system. And um, and you, you need to provide the security. And for both these technologies, it may be diff, um, a, a different way. So for the more conventional technologies, and I include uh, hydrogen-fueled um, turbines uh, into that, um, it, it could be um, what we call a capacity market. So you could add a, a different layer to the existing market where you um, um, give a remuneration um, for those providing the capacity. And with that, um, you have a market-based way of just securing that the capacity is there when it's needed. Obviously, you need to design it uh, in, in a good way. Um, so because the affordability question is uh, in, in front of everything, but I think if prices would spike and you would keep it as today uh, incentivized by what the market today is, is called an energy-only market, so only by um, pricing everything based on an energy basis, um, that may not be um, sufficient. So that, that's more the conventional base, but you also need to do that for renewables. Um, you, um, you need to have investment security um, there, so you can do this with, for example, contracts for difference, um, so where effectively you make sure that um, um, everyone gets a certain remuneration and if you design them as a symmetrical way so that effectively means you also cap potential excess um, returns so you keep um, 
um, uh, you keep the costs in a certain range and then for society. But this gives extremely high investment security for investors. So it should lead to a lot of capital being um, um, then available for, for these kind of investments um, and um, may then, um, then lead to really ramp up renewables quite quickly. Um, what you need to do in addition is um, um, it's, uh, you need to um, have faster permitting procedures uh, and so on as well and give renewal expansion a clear priority also in planning because um, this, this often takes quite a long time. But, but that, I think, is one of the core changes um, that you need to apply in the longer term um, to, to the market. You'd mentioned CFDs. I think they're, they're a really interesting uh, tool to help uh, grow renewables uh, and perhaps other forms of uh, generation. The CFDs aren't very conducive to the short-term markets, day-ahead markets, maybe even hourly markets, perhaps, if we get down to that point. How, do you, how can renewables and clean energy sources of electricity play a role in those markets, but still have the investment security that CFDs bring, even though CFDs perhaps are not the tool for those markets. I hope that makes sense. The, um, well, I think we, we do see um, a market where such kind of CFDs, um, well, you can always design it in different ways, but where you see them already being implemented, and that's the UK. Um, so, so they do work. Um, Obviously, one of the problems um, that we see in that market is that um, electricity um, traded at the forward markets. Um, so a year ahead, two years ahead, three years ahead, um, liquidity goes down um, because there's not so much inherent incentive for a, a renewable player in that scheme to offer the electricity at forward markets. Um, and that's a problem um, because we want to protect our customers. And that's why we and also other retailers do hatch. So we buy electricity predominantly at the forward markets and not at the spot markets. So we want to hatch. We um, have a very high um, um, yeah, wish for liquid um, forward markets in that way. So if you design uh, or think about CFDs, you need to make sure that still volumes are offered um, at, uh, at the forward markets. Uh, and the things uh, under discussion for that would be some sort of obligation or uh, incentives to do that. Um, although I think um, uh, incentives will always be difficult to implement. So you need to implement some sort of um, obligation to offer a certain um, amount uh, of electricity then also on the forward markets to make sure that we do have that liquidity that we need. And on the other way, um, it's also um, the what I think important is to not take um, renewable electricity as something special. Um, I mean, it, it, it is the solution to the energy crisis and it's an important part, but it should be part of the market. It should be part of it. If it, if it is special, um, you, you somehow separate these, um, these markets, which um, can, can lead to, to even other problems. But in the end, um, mm. I find it hard to see that it is something different. Um, because yes, it comes from green um, or renewable energy sources. Um, but the product itself is still the same. I mean, your your light bulb um, functions in the same way, your electricity um, is just a homogeneous product in, in the end. So um, mm. how to overcome this, um, I think, 
is one of the challenges um, right now because um, people people yeah may may see it uh, different, but in the end uh, the effect um, is the same. And uh, making sure that electricity and renewable electricity just um, is part of the overall market, I think, from my perspective, is a very important point when you design um, the future markets. Just finally, uh, you mentioned the role or you know the, the need for flexibility on the market and uh, on, on the on the transmission system, and you you've you've mentioned the role of your gas peaker and perhaps hydrogen turbines playing that role um, in the future. Um, what is the role then of, of of storage and perhaps battery storage in uh, in that? Can can other forms of long term storage and short term storage play that role? So we don't not necessarily reliant on hydrogen uh, or gas peaker plants uh, on the grid. So batteries will play a very important role uh, in the future uh, electricity system. So they will go go in, but um, batteries. Um, they have shorter cycles, so what you what you somehow also need to do is um, you need to balance this um, the seasons in a way, right? PV um, produces most in uh, in summer when sun shines. Uh, wind um, has a bit higher than um, in, in in those yeah times in autumn and so on, where where you, you also have a bit more winds. Uh, depends on location, of course. Um, but overall, I think it's more PV that um, that really leads to this um, kind of seasonal um, difficulties or changes. Um, and um, you may have these times where, when well, neither the wind nor um, uh, wind, neither the wind blows or sun shines. Um, so luckily, um, we are connected in Europe. Um, so not in all um, locations uh, in Europe, you will have the same kind of weather situation, which effectively means you need to strengthen the grid, making sure that you have transmissions also um, in an interconnected European system. So one element um, that is important here. But um, but other um, flexibility means, um, I think we, we lack some sort of um, more seasonal storage technologies except to either run um, a, a gas um, um, turbine or hydrogen uh, in, in the future. Um, but effectively, you can potentially also do a lot around hydrogen. So um, uh, we did some calculations and um, we think uh, electrolyzers uh, will ramp up massively. And effectively, um, they will also um, uh, define um, the electricity prices in the future because if you will, um, uh, they are part of the energy system later on. They are a source of demand or flexible demand. So you can decide when you um, do start them and operate them. So it's not carved in stone that they will always operate on that same uh, kind of uh, kind of level. So um, so they will play a part in that. Um, I think the crucial element is um, it's not only one technology, batteries here, um, gas turbines there, and we shouldn't play them against each other. Uh, I think with regard to flexibility, um, this flexibility in the system is one of those crucial elements in order to also make the market work um, because it, if you don't have flexibility in it, um, you would can imagine a market which has relatively low variable cost production from renewables, and this then, in, at least in some hours, um, relatively high 
um, costs coming um, from hydrogen or gas-fired um, turbines. Um, and the thing that bridges it and makes sure that this is a smooth, um, what is called married order of technologies, is effectively flexibility. And I do fear a bit that all these market design discussions that we have right now, crisis-induced, um, that with that um, we underestimate uh, the value that flexibility can provide um, to the future electricity system. And um, so, so that's why I think we need to put a lot of focus uh, on that and, um, um, and also on uh, certainly on the infrastructure. So all this, what we discuss now is connected, um, or at least most of it connected to the distribution grids wind offshore and, and large power stations, obviously not. And in some countries you will see um, nuclear and so on. They are not connected to a distribution grid, but they're connected to the grid. And effectively um, making sure that uh, electricity is transported is, is of very vital importance. And for that, I think um, um, you, you need to go to, down to a more um, municipal level because it's always different uh, in every um uh, region, um, but you need to plan it a bit um, because um, you will um, grid development is is not as quick. Um, so you need to have some sort of planning ahead. Uh, and right now, where we sometimes uh, um, uh, extend the grid um, when people ask to be connected, um, if we already know that there is an area um, which um, will very likely uh, need to be connected um, or where the grid need to be extended, we could already start um, because um, these um, procedures uh, um, to, to get the permits and so on, they, they take their time um, and um, we will have to accelerate them. But I fear that even then it may take too long if we do not have this kind of a bit bottom-up planning um, on uh, on this communal uh, level, so we have this um, in, uh, in in Germany and other countries. Um, it's called heat heat plan, so heat transition um, that you plan. But effectively, um, I think this need to be extended. We need to talk about decarbonization plans and need to uh, include um, other elements um, in there as well. Which um, yeah, I think I think then together um, this forms a system which is. Um, has changes to it, yes. It's not the energy market as we know it today um, or knew it in, in the last um, um, years. But for some, this is a revolution. I mean, two, three years, um, uh, some of those elements that we discussed um, um, are um, or would have been seen as, as a re revolution um, to, to market design. Um, now, compared to some other um, proposals out there, it, it looks more like uh, an evolutionary uh, change. But I think this is this is the point I want to make. Um, um, the market itself um, does function. Uh, there are just some functions like the more longer term um, uh, impacts and, and things that uh, where the market clearly shows its limitations, uh, which we need to look at. and. And overall, we need to always have a have um, a view on affordability and making sure that we um, give either incentives or cap um, these um, excess or yeah give, give some 
yeah, back to um, to customers um, um, in, in times of these excessive um, price periods, which we may see again. Um, hopefully, not as big, but um, the next uh, winter will arrive, and uh, we will compete there a lot more than in this year um, with Asia with regard to um, LNG, so liquefied gas deliveries, um, and um, yeah, that will be will will another int- will be another interesting year. Mm, absolutely, uh, Dirk. Thank you so much for your time today uh, on Energy Enablers. Just before we go, do you have any advice for the next generation of, of energy professionals that are about to enter the industry today, or have just entered the industry today? So I think, uh, well, hopefully the discussion uh, already showed a bit that this is a quite fascinating time. Um, so yeah. I compared it. Um, to, to when I started my career, being curious about the liberalization, how it will work out, so this, this new uh, energy environment, um, we will see a massive scale of uh, renewable technologies. We will see a massive uh, scale also in the, uh, in the energy grids. So this whole energy transition um, is, um, is a booster. And when you... Um, I, I even now have problems on defining the energy industry. I mean, you can work on energy and be part of uh, Volkswagen or Tesla. Um, and um, so also when we look at our competitors, this is a broad range. Um, mm. So it's not just the the old uh, majors or the old utilities um, that you can go through there, there too. There are also uh, many startups now entering the arena um, um, really um, enriching the whole competitive field, which uh, I think is great. And so um, I think there's, for everyone, there, there there is a field. And I think right now, my personal perception is um, um, there, um, I don't know where the other um, industries are that are so interesting than, than ours, but obviously... Um, I have um, my special view on that working in that industry, but um, but right now I think it's a fantastic um, time to to just entering the business and 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 yeah and contribute to the energy transition and make it a success. Absolutely. Will it succeed? Will the energy transition succeed? Yeah, I'm, I I I believe so. Uh, it will succeed. We will have to do a lot. We need to accelerate things as uh, as discussed. Uh, it will succeed. Um, the technologies that we need are there. So um, some additional may come over time um, to make it easier, make it potentially more affordable um, than, than it is right now. Do we meet all those targets that we have outlined? Uh, also all those very ambitious targets? Um, I don't know. Um, I sincerely hope so. And um, I and also my company does everything to contribute to that. Um, but um, but we will certainly succeed. Absolutely. Dirk, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Thank you. That's all from us this week. Thank you so much to Dirk for taking part in Energy Enablers. I was really interested to hear his views about the need to focus a little more on the distribution grid and, and the greater levels of planning that are required as we move to a renewables-dominated grid. Please do rate and review this podcast wherever you are listening so more people can find us. Do check out Foresight's other podcasts. There's What Matters with me, Jan Rosenau and Michaela Hull, speaking with experts on the top issues of the energy transition. And there's also Policy Dispatch with Foresight's policy editor, Sam Morgan, talking all things energy policy and regulation. 
You can listen to those on our website or wherever you get your podcasts. There you can also find more of our in-depth journalism. Just go to www.foresightdk.com where you can also learn more about our subscription packages. Until next time, thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.